Good morning. We are, as um, David indicated, continuing in Matthew, and we're getting toward the finish. We, um, this week, um, for the past month or so, we've been looking at the uh, final week of the Lord's ministry on the earth, the week before his death at Calvary. If you'll recall, um, it was Thursday evening of this week that the Lord and the disciples observed Passover in the upper room, and it was there that Judas departed to um, execute his plan for betraying Jesus to the chief priests. Thursday midnight, the Lord agonized in prayer to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane meaning the oil press. Friday morning. It's now Friday morning. The Lord, um, the Lord was arrested by a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees. The Lord's appearance was indistinguishable from his disciples, and therefore Judas had to identify Jesus with a kiss. The Sanhedrin clumsily conducted their uh, religious mistrial against many of their own rules and um, falsely accused and convicted Jesus of blasphemy. The lonely pre-dawn streets of Jerusalem saw a sad profession from the residents of Caiaphas to the praetorium, the, um, the residents of the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate. There, the chief priests would insist on a trial, a civil trial. They conducted their, their relig religious trial, and um, they're bringing um, the death sentence, really, uh, to, um, uh, for Pontius Pilate to give. This is where we find ourselves this morning. We, uh, we're on our way to the Praetorium. Um, commentators guessed that it was uh, 7 o'clock in the morning or earlier on this Friday morning. Why such a long and steep and treacherous road to Calvary? We're not there yet. We're not at Calvary. The Lord Jesus has had to struggle to, to get this far. He's been humiliated. But uh, I believe that this long road to Calvary shows the Lord's determination, his resolve, his commitment to completing his Father's will. <clears throat> it wasn't an easy thing. And so he's, he's showing his love to his Father by, by traveling this road. And certainly it shows the Lord Jesus' love for us. He was willing to endure the hostility of sinners against himself for the joy that was set before him, the joy of seeing you and me delivered from the bondage of sin and enter into the glory of his father's household. I'd like to look at um, a couple of verses for background before we actually start our passage, and it's um, 
Also found in Matthew 27, uh, verse 1. And by the way, we're going to be skipping around this morning. So um, we're, we're going to start in Matthew, but most of our narrative resides in the Gospel of John. So we're going to go to the Gospel of John after this. But um, just for background, Matthew 27, verse 1. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. The rulers, the religious rulers plotted, that is, they counseled together how best to put the Lord Jesus to death. They, they devoted their best minds to this, um, uh, this treachery, to this, um, uh, this sad task. They bound him, okay? So um, they put ropes around his wrists or manacles like uh, they would a common criminal, and um, they led him. Imagine the grace, the uh, restraint of our Lord Jesus to allow sinful men to lead him, to take him. And uh, they took him away to the praetorium, the residence of the, of the Roman governor. Who is Pontius Pilate? Well, Caesar, Tiberius Caesar, appointed him as governor in AD 26, governor of Judea. And uh, it's now AD 33 about, and so he's been ruling for seven years. He knows the land, he knows the people. And uh, so he's uh, enforcing Roman law as a conqueror over the conquered. The Jews hate him for that because um, uh, they are now a conquered people. And uh, um, Pontius Pilate is the, is the head of that government. Pontius Pilate was responsible for financial administration, for collection of taxes, and for most notably deciding the um, capital offenses, deciding if a person would be uh, executed with the death penalty. Pilate was um, destitute of any fixed principles, having no aim but office and influence. He did what was right only when it did not interfere with his selfish aims and purposes. He was a despicable character. In our outline this morning, we're going to, uh, to look at the trial before Pontius Pilate in uh, several headings. The first one is that the Jewish leaders accused the Lord Jesus ignorantly. The second, Pilate interrogated the Lord Jesus impatiently. And the third, the Lord Jesus endured fierce allegations silently. Um, and then we'll uh, ask the question, what must we do in light of these truths that we look at this morning? Lord, we come to you again, uh, asking again for uh, enlightenment in your word. We see it here before us, and we're so glad for the truths you have chosen to communicate. We pray that we take them to heart and put them into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. The Jewish leaders accused the Lord Jesus ignorantly. 
Well, uh, we read in um, John 18, and uh, yeah, turn to John 18 if you would. It's there on the, uh, on the screen. So, um, in verse 29, actually, Pilate went out to the Jews. And uh, back to 28, why? Why did Pilate go out of the praetorium to the Jews? Well, because the, um, the Jews were protecting their ceremonial purity um, while they committed judicial murder. The, the, the Jews did not enter a, um, a Gentile household. Um, it wasn't a rule that God prescribed, but they were afraid that they'd come in contact with uh, leaven, which was prohibited um, during the uh, Passover feasts. So they, um, they would not go into the praetorium. They neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Pilate knew their hypocrisy. They were, um, they were fastidious about the little things, about tithing and, and uh, leaven, and yet here they're carrying on a gross murder of, of God's own beloved son. Pilate knew their hypocrisy, but he was willing to overlook it, to tolerate it, to keep the peace. Pilate understandably had a real contempt, a real hatred for the Jewish leaders. So in verse 29, we read, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? It was a surprise question for the Jews because uh, Pilate probably himself had authorized the detachment of officers that went and arrested Jesus only hours before. Pilate must have heard reports of this young religious leader and his radical teaching and the, um, the effect that it was having on, uh, on people. And uh, he, he knew, or he would soon figure out, that the reason the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders, had delivered Jesus to him was out of envy. The, um, uh, the leaders uh, envied the popularity that Jesus had, the, um, the hearing that he had among the, the common people, and uh, Jesus was also bad for business. Um, Caiaphas may have owned the concessions in the temple courtyard, um, the money changers and the uh, animal sellers, and Jesus um, twice drove out the money changers in the temple, and to Caiaphas this was a financial loss. So um, they were intent on uh, destroying the Lord Jesus, and Pilate, um, Pilate knew at least part of this. And the Jewish leaders must have thought, um, we're going to bring Jesus to Pilate and uh, insist on execution, and that's the end of it. We're done. And Pilate Ask the question, what accusation do you bring against this man? The Jewish leaders didn't hide their sarcasm. They answered in verse 30 and said to him, if he were not an evildoer, we would have delivered him up to you. He's an evildoer. 
What a name for the one who alone does good. He is good and does good. Peter preached of the Lord Jesus in Acts 10. He said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we, all, uh, and we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. In verse 31, then um, Pilate said to him, you take him and judge him according to your law. It was a, um, uh, a return of uh, sarcasm to the Jews. The, um, the leader's accusation was vague. He's an evildoer, you know. He, he does evil. And um, um, Pilate knew more about Jesus than they were telling him. And uh, he was reluctant to proceed with the investigation, especially if he could irritate the Jews. Okay? So he's, uh, by nature, he's, he's uh, reluctant to do, uh, to do things, but uh, here he sees an advantage that he's going he's gonna, to uh, get one on the Jews. He's stalling. The... Um, the religious leaders um, are forced to reveal their true reason for delivering Jesus to them in uh, verses 31 and 32. Um, Pilate said to him, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. They'd already convicted the Lord Jesus of a capital offense in their illegal proceedings. In other words, they, um, they'd already found him guilty of an offense that um, required the death penalty, and uh, that was blasphemy. But they confessed that as, um, as subjects now of the Roman Empire, they had lost their authority to execute people. They had no longer the, um, uh, the ability to execute the death penalty. In doing this, in bringing Jesus to uh, Pontius Pilate for execution, they unknowingly fulfilled two prophecies. One was um, death by crucifixion. In Psalm 22, David wrote, um, they pierced my hands and my feet. It's, uh, it's the crucifixion there of Messiah. At the time David wrote the psalm, death was by stoning. And so um, had, had someone committed the uh, sin of blasphemy, they would have been stoned to death at the time of this, um, this writing. And so it's, uh, it's an unusual prophecy. And then the second prophecy was death at the hand of Gentiles. Jesus told his disciples several times, maybe many times, what he indicated in Matthew 20. He said, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock 
and to scourge and to crucify. So um, we switch now to Luke's account and uh, Luke 23, verse 2. They realized they had to come up with a, a charge uh, for capital offense, a charge uh, for a crime against Rome. So in uh, Luke 23.2, they said, uh, it reads, and they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. The charge against um, Jesus is that uh, he claims himself to be Christ, the Messiah, a king. It was a charge as equally unfounded to Pilate as the charge of blasphemy um, that the Sanhedrin gave. They said that Jesus corrupted, he perverted the people, forbidding them to, uh, to pay taxes to Caesar. It's amazing what loyal subjects the Jewish leaders had become to, uh, to Rome in a few short minutes that uh, they have this zeal for paying taxes to, to Rome. It um, undoubtedly woke Pilate up to uh, something suspicious is going on here. Something is not right. These guys hate Rome and they're they're saying Jesus doesn't pay taxes uh, because he's a king. Well, something's not adding up. Uh, uh, Pilate interrogated the Lord Jesus impatiently. Back to, um, back to John 18 and verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Two heads of state conferred, Jesus and Pilate. Pilate's interview, his personal interview here with Jesus, is one that he, Jesus gave only three other Gentiles. He, uh, he talked privately with the woman at the well, offered her living water and gave that to her. There was the Syrophoenician woman who begged the Lord Jesus for, um, for him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And then there was the, um, the Roman centurion in Matthew 8 who asked for Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant. The outcome of each interview was that the Lord Jesus blessed the requester with, um, uh, with, uh, on the basis of their faith. Would Jesus find the same receptiveness in his fourth interview, in his interview with Pilate? The allegation by the religious leaders was not one that Pilate could, could ignore. Jesus claimed to be a king and that the king of the hated Jews. So his first question in his interrogation is, are you the king of the Jews? It carried with it a, an element of astonishment. Jesus didn't look like royalty. He wore uh, the simple robe and sandals of a commoner. 
He'd been, up, he'd been up all night after enduring the agony of Gethsemane and the blood-like sweat. He'd been bullied by the Sanhedrin and beat up by the temple police. Jesus' hands were bound with rope or manacles. The Lord's posture was not one of pride or defiance, but of quiet confidence and submission and respect. If this man were a king, he was not like any king that Pilate knew of. Are you a king? Are you king of the Jews? Verse 34, Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Are you asking out of personal interest, Pilate, because you have a personal concern? Are you just parroting what you heard from the uh, Jewish leaders? As the Roman governor, do you perceive me as a threat to Caesar? Do you desire to know the spiritual significance behind the words King of the Jews? Do you want to uh, do you want to have understanding, or are you content with just a superficial treatment of the title? Amazing, Jesus was reaching out to Pilate to engage his soul. Pilate responded with an unveiled contempt in verse 35. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Why would I be interested in questions of Jewish religion? I'll be pleased to learn a little, I'll be pleased to learn as little as I can about this whole Jewish situation until we put a cap on it, till we get over this, this crisis. Pilate's suspicion was growing. He knew, ordinarily, the Jewish leaders would jump on a, um, any insurrectionist, any rebel, no matter how wild his claims, to try to throw off the, the yoke of Roman oppression. Pilate knew that. And so why would they deliver this one to him? Why are they so bitter against Jesus? What have you done? Pilate, um, Jesus answered in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus is answering the, um, the question, what have you done? He, he says, the, um, the whole point is this, that I have not acted like the militant Messiah, the political savior that the Jews expect. That's what I have done. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's not as you, Pilate, imply about Jew 
or Gentile, but about all men. If mine were a political or religious kingdom, my servants would fight and I wouldn't be a prisoner here before you. My kingdom is not from here. Pilate's next question, verse 37, uh, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Pilate was locked on the word king. He, uh, that was the only thing that he was understanding about uh, the Lord's answer. And he wasn't willing to go deeper into this discussion. Jesus' response then, um, Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. This, uh, this answer is um, the most solemn way for a Jew to say yes, okay? You say, you rightly say, okay? Absolutely, yes, I am a king. Jesus added an explanation for his, um, his claim. He wanted to explain in terms that the uh, governor could understand. And so he said, for this cause I was born and for this cause I come into the world that I should be, that I should bear witness to the truth. Though his kingdom was not of this world, Jesus came to reveal his kingdom to his creatures and to open that kingdom to everyone. He gives a, a wonderful double emphasis here. He says, for this cause I was born, for this cause I've come into the world. Do you get the, do you get the, uh, the contrast there? For this cause I was born, I'm, I'm human, okay? I'm the son of man, but for this cause I've come into the world, suggesting that um, he was an outsider. He came from another place. It's wonderful. Jesus is otherworldly. At one point earlier, he told the Pharisees, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. What was the truth to which Jesus came to witness? It was the truth of his kingdom, of course, but also that of his Father and the Holy Spirit and what man is, um, what proceeds out of the, the heart of man, uh, what is salvation, what is... Um, what is uh, the truth about grace. If God did not reveal spiritual truths to us, we would not know them. They're not um, discerned through creation or through conscience. Jesus has words of eternal life. During uh, his ministry, many followed the Lord simply for the food that he provided. And to separate these superficial disciples from actual followers of his, he started teaching hard things, difficult truths. He taught about uh, eating uh, his flesh and drinking his blood. And um, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? 
Are, are you going to leave also because of these difficult things that I'm teaching? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus has the words of eternal life, and if he had not spoken them, if he had not given them to us, we would not have them. So let's follow the revelation of Jesus to Pilate. In um, uh, John 18, 29, he, um, he introduces him as the man. What accusation do you bring against this man? In, uh, in verse 30, the Jewish ac- accusation, an evildoer. In verse 37, Jesus acknowledges his title as the king of the Jews. And now, also in verse 37, he is the witness to the truth. Jesus so embodied or personified truth that he could tell his disciple Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's a demand that truth makes. At the end of verse 37, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. What does it mean to be of the truth? Well, it means to be on the side of truth. It means to desire truth, to love truth. The very nature of truth demands that we accept it or reject it. We love the truth or we hate it. We are loyal to the truth or we despise it. And we're speaking here of spiritual truth, that, again, which God communicates through his Son, the living word, and through um, his Bible, the written word. Paul writes of the end times in 2 Thessalonians 2, he says that people will not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. There's an example of those who, who they hate the truth. They're not going to tolerate it. They're not going to abide by it. So those who are on the side of truth, they desire the truth, will hear and accept Jesus' words as authoritative, as absolute, as words from the Father. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Everyone, Pilate, everyone. The Lord Jesus makes this appeal to Pilate. Amazingly, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus loved his appointed executioner and sought to free Pilate from the penalty of death. What is Pilate's response? In verse 38, what is truth? Is Pilate a philosopher? Is he saying that truth is unknowable? No. 
He's being sarcastic. He's being flippant. What is truth? And he turns and walks away. We know it's, uh, we know it's a sarcastic response because Pilate didn't wait for an answer. He just said, what is truth? <clears throat> he asked the right question of the right person, and the answer stood right in front of him. And he turned around and left. He went out to the, um, uh, went out of the praetorium, out of the Lord's presence. Uh, Pilate rejected Jesus' offer of truth concerning his kingdom. It was a kingdom that's not of this world. John Phillips, in his commentary, wrote, Then and there, Pilate could have slain his doubts and put his fears to rest, embraced Christ and entered into the truth. But he was not serious. With a touch of cynicism, he shrugged off the magic moment. It never came again, as far as we know. He simply dismissed the Lord's statement. He was not going to discuss the nature of truth with this Galilean peasant. He abruptly left the praetorium. The trial would continue. It would enter into a second phase, we'll see in the weeks to come. Pilate's character would not change, but something profound and dramatic happened to Pilate. He became different in a way that we cannot see. The moment of opportunity departed. It's eloquently expressed in the poem, The Hidden Line. <clears throat> there is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. <clears throat> there is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. To pass that limit is to die, to die as if by stealth. It does not quench the beaming eye or pale the glow of health. The conscience may still be at ease, the spirit lithe and gay. That which pleases still may please and care be thrust away. But on that forehead God has set indelibly a mark, unseen by men. <clears throat> for men as yet are blind and in the dark. Oh, where is that mysterious line by which each path is crossed, beyond which God himself hath sworn that he who goes is lost? How far may we go on in sin? How long will God forbear? Where does hope end and where begin the confines of despair? The answer from the skies is sent, ye that from God depart, while it is called today, repent and harden not your heart. Pilate was not of the truth. He would not receive the love of the truth. Therefore, he could not hear the voice of Jesus. Pilate was a murderer. He killed the truth. He slaughtered his conscience. He missed the last exit on the highway to hell. Pilate left the praetorium. Um, 
In verse 38, he, um, and when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. His finding of innocence was faint praise to God's faithful and true witness. Pilate didn't believe the accusations of the religious leaders, but the religious leaders hadn't brought Jesus to Pilate for acquittal. They didn't want a finding of innocence. They brought him for execution. Pilate rejected the truth for which a thousand acquittals would not atone. Back to um, Luke 23 and verse 5. But they, that is the, um, the chief priests, were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Pilate went out and announced his, um, his finding. I find no fault in him at all. He's innocent. I don't know what Pilate was expecting, but there was a hailstorm of, of uh, accusations, fresh accusations against Jesus. Now to uh, Matthew and uh, Matthew 27, 12. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Jesus responded to these accusations with a majestic silence. Edersheim commented on this verse, it was as if a surging of the wild waves broke far beneath against the base of the rock, which untouched reared its head far aloft into the heavens. They were, um, these uh, waves of accusation were crashing against the rock, and yet the rock was unmoved. He, uh, he did not respond to the, um, to the accusations. So the Lord Jesus is the faithful and true witness, even in the midst of accusation and hatred. Matthew 27, 13, and 14, Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered, not, but he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. Jesus was silent. The accusations simply didn't deserve a response. They were so outlandish, so ridiculous. So, what do we apply? Are you on the side of truth? Do you love the old gospel? It, it teaches that you and I are sinners, that you and I, uh, by nature, deserve hell. That there's nothing good in us. We are ill-deserving, not just undeserving. But that God, in His grace, has reached down through the death of his uh, son, our Lord Jesus. He's reached down to extend uh, uh, sacrificial substitute for our sin, someone who paid the penalty for that sin. Do you love that? Do you love that gospel? You who do love the truth. Praise the Lord for his compassion and grace. We did that this morning. 
and be a faithful and true witness just like the Lord Jesus. Okay? If you've you've received the truth, don't stop the truth here. Tell others. Be also that faithful and true witness. Jesus told his disciples in John 20, he said, As the Father sent me, I send you. Now you be a faithful and and, uh, faithful and true witness. Jesus did in the face of opposition. If you are not yet on the side of truth, I beg you, please receive the truth. Paul wrote to the um, Corinthians that behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't let this opportunity pass today. Choose life for your precious soul. Let's pray. We glean rich truths, Lord, from this trial of our Lord Jesus before um, Pilate. And it's a, it's a challenge to us to be faithful and true witnesses of the, um, the marvelous gospel that you've given to us. And so uh, we pray that um, we might have opportunity to uh, testify of your grace and goodness, of your love for us in the, in the days ahead. But our, our hearts go out to those who, like Pilate, are... Uh, on the wrong road, they're on a highway, and um, unless they exit, uh, they will go to judgment and to hell. We, we pray for these ones, Lord, that um, they might uh, see their error, see their wrong, and, and turn to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.